you have uh, elementary age kiddos, they head out this door to go to Sunday school. If you're a fifth or sixth grader, head out the back door there. And uh, by the way, this is Amy's last Sunday here. She's, uh, she spoke last week, and we're all very sad and very happy. Um, but uh, she's going to go to Russia and if you, for about six weeks uh, with a crew team. And then uh, she'll be heading back and moving on to other things. So uh, if you uh, want to ask her about that trip or want to support that trip in any way, uh, please come in and talk to Amy. We've been so blessed, and, and we just love you, and we're so sad to see you go. But we know that that's how, that's how things go. We are a church that continually seems to have people leaving, which is what you're supposed to do anyway is uh, send people out. So we're glad to see her go out. Are all the kids out now? Good. You getting my laugh? Not that one. He's too little. He's got to stay here. Um, how are y'all doing this morning? Hanging in there? Sort of? Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Uh, my wife is a mother of four children, so Mother's Day is mostly me telling them, please just make her life easier today. And uh, don't break anything or make a mess that she has to clean up. Um, please just go easy on her. And uh, if you're a guest here today, we're, we're just glad that you're here. Truly, we're glad that you're here. Um, if this is your first or second or third or fourth or fifth time, I don't know when you stop being a guest, but uh, we're glad you're here either way. Um, we are going to be in the book of John today. So we're going to be continuing uh, with the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, Good Samaritan, wrong Samaritan woman. Good Samaritans later. We're going to close up that story of the, uh, the Samaritan woman, and uh, we'll be in John chapter 4. Um, so one of the things about that story that I love is the fact that Jesus uh, is not bound by what the culture says he has to do, right? Uh, they, we tell each other, both in words and in a lot of tacit, under-the-radar, unspoken things, how we're supposed to behave and to whom we're supposed to talk and, and who we're supposed to have interactions with and what part of town we're supposed to live in. And there's a long list of things. And Jesus just throws all of that out. Uh, and we're going to finish up part of that. But as we go through the book of John together, and we're going to go through the whole book, we're going to read every verse together. I don't know how long that will take. I don't really care uh, because it's the Word of God and it's a lot of fun. So we're going to walk through that together. And as we walk through the end of this story today, I want you to just think in your brain and just notice how Jesus treats people, right? How he treats her, how he treats the disciples, uh, how he treats the, uh, the, the other Samaritans who are going to come up uh, and, and talk to him. Because it's very different from how we treat one another generally. Um, as the more I read the Gospels, the more I just see how different Jesus treated people than how we as human beings treat one another today. Um, so let's, I just want to stick that in your, in your, your craw or your whatever so you can gnaw on it while we go through the passage together. But before that, we need to pray. So let's do that. Lord, I, I love you today. Uh, I come to you as every person in here comes to you as a, a, a sinner in need of grace and of redemption. I come to you as a son who struggles, who loves you very, very poorly, who has all kinds of things that distract me and detour me and bother me, weigh me down. I love singing that song we just sang, Lord. You paid it all. That we should praise you with every breath of our life. 
that we should praise you, that every single cell in our body should worship you. So we come to you today to continue worshiping you by, by hearing what you want us to know through this passage of Scripture. Would you pray for, for someone next to you, in front or behind, if you know them or don't, it doesn't really matter if you know their name. You need to put your hand on them um, and just pray for them today. I don't know what they have in their heart this morning. I don't know what they're struggling with. I don't know what weighs them down. But I pray that you would ask, ask that that person would receive what the Lord has for them today and that they would rejoice in his salvation today. Ask that they would be able to hear and understand what the Lord is teaching us through the word today and that they would receive and and accept and, and apply that truth. Pray for yourself that you would listen to what the Lord wants us to do today. He would listen as he teaches all of us. Pray for our, our child care workers out there as they are dealing with lots of little babies. They change diapers. They, uh, they group with the mid-school group as, as a complicated task in front of them. Pray that they have great grace and mercy and wisdom in doing that. Pray for me that I would say what God wants me to say and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable and pleasing to him. Lord, we love you. We desperately and utterly need you. We proclaim our need to you. We open your word. Transform how we think. Transform who we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. General warning not to pray with your eyes closed and wander around upstage. I almost fell off again. So... One of these days, I'm really going to go over the edge, but it's okay. If I can make it look like a minute, look like a really dramatic entrance instead of a fall. So we're in John 4, chapter 27, verse, uh, uh, excuse me, verse, (laughs) switch that. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 27 through verse 42. It's about 15 uh, verses, and we're going to walk through it today. If it seems like a lot, it's because Treb took uh, two weeks to go through the other previous verses, but... Sometimes we knuckle down on a a passage, but here we're going to finish up this one. We'll be in verse uh, 27. And uh, before we get there, I want to just remind you of the kind of the context. So Jesus had been in in Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, the region, and uh, the Pharisees were getting bothersome. So they they wanted to head back up to Galilee, which is north where the Sea of Galilee is, the region that, that Jesus was from. And in order to go there, you had to walk through Samaria or go way around it. And so Jesus, is, Jesus walks straight through Samaria, and in that uh, journey, he, he encounters this Samaritan woman at, uh, at Jacob's well, and he has this incredible encounter with her, and that's what Treb talked about the past two weeks. And he just engaged this woman where she was, and right at the end of that conversation, that interaction between the two of them in verse 25 and 26, the woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. This was not some stupid woman. She actually knew the teaching of the Old Testament, probably better than a lot of people do today. She knew that a Messiah was coming and he was supposed to explain everything, which is kind of what we all want. We're like, can you please explain things to me? And Jesus answers her and he, said, he declares and says, I who speak to you am he, which is this giant bomb in their conversation. I mean, just because she had said the Messiah is coming, the person, the Redeemer that the Old Testament talks about is coming, and he's going to explain that. And Jesus looks at her and says, 
The person the Old Testament talked about, their coming redeemer, that's me. Normal people don't say that, right? If anybody comes up to you and says, by the way, the entire Old Testament, that talks about me. Uh, Run as fast as you can and maybe call the cops. But Jesus makes this incredible statement, I am the Messiah. And right then in verse 27, right after that happens is when his disciples come in. So verse 27 says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you, do, that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. Or do you not say that? And then I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages, and even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So let's look at that before we uh, finish off the, the passage there. So, into this scene, right, come the disciples. And it says they were surprised. Other versions might say marveled or amazed at. The, the word really means to, to marvel at something. I think the best translation I've seen is shocked, okay? The disciples had gone into, into town uh, to buy tacos or whatever, and they come back out, and there's Jesus. And it says they were shocked or they were uh, surprised to find him talking with a woman. Because remember where they are. They're in Samaria. And it says, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? You see, they were thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? They were smart enough to not say that, right? Because they know that if you walk up to Jesus and say, dude, what are you doing? You're going to get a lot of questions in return that you're not going to be able to answer. So, but this is what they're thinking. And the Samaritan woman says, then leaving her water jar, she went back to town to tell the people. See, she knows exactly what they're thinking, even though they don't say anything. Because I think what Jesus had done is that Jesus had dared to talk to one of those people. Ever heard that language before? Those people? Uh, anytime you hear somebody say, yeah, well, those people, just, just listen, just be quiet and listen. Because they're about to reveal a whole lot of how they think, okay? And Jesus had dared to engage one of those people in relationship and in ministry, and it shocked his disciples. Now, remember, his disciples were walking with Jesus. They weren't like the bad guys. They were Jesus' disciples, and they were shocked because Jesus had dared to engage one of those people. So she goes back to the town, and says to the people, some of your versions may say, said to the men, the, the word there is, is the word for, for kind of for mankind. And so, but uh, maybe she went and talked to the kind of the ruling council. I don't know. But notice what she says to them. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Very uh, uh, fascinating question she asked them, right? Could this be the Christ? But look what she says. See a man who did what? told me everything I ever did. Uh, if I came to one of you and told you everything you ever did, 
Uh, it would be weird, probably, because I, I can't do that. But Jesus, she's speaking in, in hyperbole here, right? Jesus had not actually told her what color tunic she put on three weeks ago. But he had looked into her sin and her shame and the darkest things in her heart and had told her, you remember that when she, he goes, go and get your husband, and she goes, I don't have one. And he goes, I know, you had five, and now you're on number six. He knew her heart at the deepest, darkest level. He knew her shame. He knew her sin. He knew her pain. And it changed her encountering Jesus. And so it says, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. I always like to think in, in narratives like this, I like to view it like a movie, right? So it, this scene starts out, and Jesus is, it's, a, it's this scene that's it's a tight shot right on G- Jesus and this woman, and I guess the well's beside him or in the picture somewhere. And they're sitting there talking, and, and Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. And, you know, the dramatic music, boom, boom, starts up, and then it kind of pans out, and you see the disciples coming up with, with bags full of tacos, and they are coming up, and they're shocked. They come, they're this group over here, and they're looking at her, and they're just totally, they cannot believe that Jesus is talking to her, of all people, her. And she, without a word being spoken between her and the disciples, she takes off. And so the camera kind of follows her running, you know, toward the town, and, and dust is kicking up from her feet, and, and she runs in, and maybe she goes to this, this ruling council of men, and she, she runs in there, and, and they're shocked to see her too, because she's not, you know, she's a woman of ill repute, right? And so she comes in, and she goes, hey, you've got to come, and you've got to see this guy who told me everything I ever did. He knows all my secrets. Maybe he's the Messiah. And so they actually follow this woman out, which is incredible. They follow her out, and then you kind of, it shows these guys coming, maybe it's a group of people, I don't know, but it's this group of people coming from the town, and they're walking up in it, and then it pans back to Jesus and the disciples there in verse 31, and it kind of closes in on just them. So she's now gone, those people, they left, and now it's just like all the good people, right? And so they're there, and his disciples, in verse 31, it's, it's pulled back in just to these guys, and it says, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat some. I mean, look at that word, urge, right? Think about the word in English, urge, uh, urgent. Um, the, I had to look this up, but the Latin root for that word means to press hard or to push or to force or to drive or compel something, right? That's where that word comes from. It means to force or press hard or push something. They are pushing, compelling, forcing Jesus to eat. It's not just like, hey, Jesus, here's some tacos. Take some if you want. It says, they urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And I always wonder why. Uh, why. Why were they so intent on Jesus eating? Maybe it was because they were hungry, and so they figured he was hungry. Uh, I don't actually know. But there's this pressure on Jesus to eat, right? And so how does Jesus respond? It says, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So this is going to start another one of these discourses where you had it in Nicodemus, you're having it with the woman at the well, now with the disciples, where there's another level that Jesus is talking on, and nobody else is there with him, right? They're down here, they're talking about lunch. They're hungry, they're like, hey Jesus, we walked a long, walked a long way, here's lunch, eat it. And Jesus goes, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Of course, they continue in their utter ignorance, and they say in verse 33, then his disciples said to each other, well, could someone have, have brought him food? And, you know, it's like, well, maybe, 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 maybe the lady brought him a sandwich when she came up. I mean, 
Maybe that's, and they're just, they show they're, they're utterly blind to the spiritual nature of the situation, right? Utterly blind. They're just so focused on the physical, on the temporal, on what's here and now, that they're utterly blind to the spiritual reality of the situation. And so Jesus very graciously begins to teach them. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. So food is important, right? Why is food important to us? Because uh, if, we, if we don't get it for long enough, we die. And so, which is bad. And Jesus has dealt with two things here, right? In this chapter, he dealt with water with the woman. And now he's dealing with food with these guys. So he's thirsty and asks the woman to get him a drink. He's dealing with her basic human need of, for water. I have to have water to drink. I'm going to die. And Jesus comes up and says, There's, there is a different kind of water that I'm going to give you, right? And she doesn't get it either. But he's dealt with water. Now he's going to deal with, with food. These, at the most basic level, like the Maslow, Maslow, whatever his name is, hierarchy of needs, if you don't have food and water, you, you can't get to the other things because this is the basic need that has to be met, right? And so Jesus is saying, my food, my nourishment, that which is required for me to survive as a human is what? It is to do. So the word to do there uh, means to uh, really to perform or, or to execute the will of who? Him who sent me, which is God the Father. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So the word finish there means to complete or accomplish or to carry through something to the end or even to, to add what is yet wanting to something uh, in order to render a thing full, like, a, like a, a jar that is supposed to be full of water and you add the rest of the water to it so that it's full. So Jesus is saying, listen, my nourishment, the thing that I need to survive is this, to do my Father's will, to utterly surrender to the accomplishment of his will and to bring to completion the work that he has for me. The root word of that word finished is the same word that Jesus is going to cry from the cross in chapter 19. When, it's, when he breathes out and he says, it is finished, and then he breathes his last and gives up his spirit. Is the word that means it is done, it is completed, it has been finished. And that is Jesus, that is the end goal of his work. The Father's work in Jesus' life was that. And that is what sustains him. And he's going to keep teaching here. He says, so don't you say that four months more and then the harvest. Meaning you, you plant stuff in the ground and then you have to wait. You, you sow seed and then it grows into a plant and then it grows fruit and then the fruit ripens and then you pick it. The normal course of things. He goes, well, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. And a lot has been made out of this about the color of the, 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 the turbans or whatever they might have been wearing. And I don't know, but I, if you have these, I go back to looking at it like a movie. If you have Jesus and the disciples sitting here at the well, and it's kind of in tight. I sort of had this idea that the, the camera pans away, and there's this group walking up from the town, and there's dust coming up from their feet, and there's this group walking up, and, and Jesus is sitting there looking at his disciples and saying, look, open your eyes and look. And I can just see him pointing at the people. The fields are ripe for the harvest. It's ready to harvest. He says, even now the reaper draws his wages, and when he harvests uh, the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So a reaper, right, is just not the grim reaper. Uh, just the reaper is the guy who 
uh, or the person who, who gathers in the crop. Like when wheat is done, the reaper cuts it down and, and gathers it. The sower is the one who puts the seed in the ground. And Jesus is just using this very natural process that they're very, all of them were aware of as an analogy to ministry. There is people that there you sow seed and then others harvest it and there is the process in that work. Who are the others? It's the prophets that had gone before them, the guys that wrote the Old Testament, uh, John the Baptist. They had prepared the way for this work, which is what? It is that people would believe in Jesus and be saved. That's the whole point of the book of John. People would hear of Jesus, believe on his name, and be saved. That is the, that is the ultimate harvest that we look at. And there's been a bunch of hymns and, and old things, and people go like soul harvesting and all these words that we've used in the past as Christians to describe what— it, but of course, now it's weird for us because we're not an agrarian society, right? And most of us here in an urban setting. But— we don't think about going in and, and like grabbing up people and sticking them in a bushel, right, and, and carrying them off. Uh, but the idea is this. There is this process that happens, and that God is the one who directs this process. He says in verse 38, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and they, you have reaped the benefits of their labor. All the ministry is like that. Uh, you sow and you reap, and, and you, you do this, but it's not— important because what part of that you're in, because look at this in verse 36, the reaper and the sower may be glad together. Uh, Christianity is actually not a a, a competitive sport. Um, It's not about uh, having bigger or better or wowers or whatever. Uh, We're actually all supposed to be doing the same thing together, which is telling people about Jesus. So what happens later on here? Verse 39 says this, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. What a courageous woman, you know? She, because of her testimony, what happened? She could have kept it secret, right? She could have just walked back into her life, kept being the, the wife of whoever, or not wife, the lover, of whoever, whatever guy, waiting for him to leave, and then she'd go on to number seven and number eight and whatever. She could have, but something happened, right, in her life. She encountered a person. She encountered Jesus. And he dared to have a relationship with her and in love speak the truth to her. And it changed her. It utterly changed her. Because she goes back and addresses people she probably ran away from, not just tells them what happened, but look what she says. He told me everything I ever did. She was not ashamed to go up to these people and say, he knows me. You guys think you know me, but he really knew me. And he didn't run away. And he didn't tell me how awful I was. He loved me where I was. And he encountered me where I was. And I, 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 I felt important to him. I felt like I mattered. He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40 says, So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him, see that word urge again? They urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. They got a full-on, face-to-face Jesus conference for two days. I mean, wow, imagine if you, that would be easy to sell, right? I mean, I guess nobody would go because if you say Jesus is here now and crazy things aren't happening, then uh, it's not Jesus. But they get a conference for two days. Remember who these people are. Okay? For hundreds 
of years. These people have been the redheaded stepchildren is not the good, the right word. They have been the dogs to the Israelites, okay? Dogs to them, worthless. So worthless that they would walk way out of their way to avoid coming into contact with them, to avoid seeing them, smelling them, touching them, hearing them, being near them. And Jesus has come into that context. He has intentionally gone to those people. And then he stayed with them for two days. It's incredible. I wonder if he would have stayed if they wouldn't have asked. Isn't that a fascinating question? I have no idea what the answer to that is. But he did stay. And in verse 41, because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is a great moral teacher and can make us very prosperous. No. What does it say? We know that this man really is the savior of the world. Look at all that is implied in there. Savior implies what? That somebody needed saving. You're not the savior if you're fine, right? You're not like, hey, I'm just here and I... I hear all the time people say, oh, well, in America, it's hard with the gospel because we don't really need saving. I'm like, what? How? we are so dumb. What? We are the disciples going, maybe somebody brought Jesus the taco. And Jesus is talking way up here. We are Nicodemus saying, well, how can you be born again? We're the Samaritan woman saying, well, how, but if you give me that water, can I not have to come here anymore? And Jesus is up here. The world needs a savior, and that savior is Jesus. The word for world there is the word a cosmos, which is the same uh, word that, that John uses when he said in 316 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that the world needed a savior, and that savior is Jesus. And these People who were thrown aside by the nation of Israel, Jesus intentionally went to them, and they are the first group of people to recognize him as their Savior. Isn't that amazing? God constantly comes to the ordinary and the unlikely, the rejected. I love it, and I hate it because it messes up everything. When they say that this man really is the Savior of the world, uh, that word means truly, uh, in reality, or most certainly. They are not just saying, you know, I think that this guy is, he's something special. No. They're saying, I with certainty have the assurance that this man, this Jesus, is actually the one who will save us all from our sins. It's incredible. Because those people aren't supposed to know that kind of stuff, right? They're not the guardians of all the knowledge like the Jews were. They're the dogs. They're the people who live on the other side, the other side of the tracks, the other side of the highway, the side of the river. Every city is divided. Every town is divided. Has been since the beginning. It will be until the end, until Jesus finally makes, brings a real city down and says, no more division. We're all going to live in the same daggone place. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. That time has not yet happened. So our job is to do what? Well, let's go back and see what he said to the disciples. So, before I actually get there, let me ask you a question. Um, when you look at passages of the Scripture, right? So, I said earlier, this stuff is not like apocryphal. It's not that John just made this stuff up. John didn't think, oh, 
well, there's this guy, Jesus, and uh, I'm going to, me and all these other guys, we're going to come together and make up this great story about this guy, Jesus. And me and, and Matthew, and even though we're separated in, in uh, geography and separated by age and in social status, uh, we're going to make up this big story about this guy, Jesus, to fool all these people into thinking that there's a Savior of the world. There are people who believe that. It's ridiculous, but we come up with all kinds of excuses to avoid the reality of Jesus. This really happened. Jesus actually talked to a woman at a well in Samaria. Samaritans actually came out and believed in Jesus and said, this is the Savior of the world. And Jesus really laid into the disciples. And so I ask, as you look at this story, I ask, who are you? Maybe you're the Samaritan woman, right? Who has come here on Mother's Day and you've got all your secrets and all your crap and all your shame and all your this and all your that and all the you wouldn't trust me if I and all the you wouldn't believe if I told you, right? You've got all that. Maybe you're the disciples and you think you've got it all figured out. You're like, I'm following Jesus. I've got a bag of tacos for him. We are good to go. And you are utterly missing the point. Utterly failing to miss the point. I use that word failure intentionally because we need to learn to embrace failure as Christians. We failed to be righteous enough to get to God. And we, can, we will always fail when we try to work our way to him. Our failure is what necessitated grace. Maybe you're one of the Samaritans who's heard from somebody about Jesus. Remember what they said? We no longer believe just because of what you said, right? There's this process again in coming to faith in Christ. There's, okay, someone else told me about Jesus. So that got me interested, and I want to come and see him. And I encountered him, and because of Jesus's words, many more believe. They say, we have now heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Maybe you've heard of Jesus, but you've never actually come to him and heard what he has to say. This is what he has to say. It's called the Bible. It was given to us by God so that we could know who Jesus is. It is the revelation of himself to humanity. It is the word of God. And you know who Jesus is by getting into the word and asking the question, who are you, Jesus? And then you investigate in that Bible and you find out who he is and then you obey him. It's amazing. Not that complicated, but utterly transformative in the life of a person. To the Samaritan woman today, come to Jesus. He will tell you everything you ever did and he will not shame you. And the reason I tell you he will not shame you is because he actually took all of your sin and your shame upon himself on the cross and he died so that you would not have to bear the consequences of it anymore. I want you to come to Jesus. I want you to ask him questions. And then I want you to leave your water jar at the well like she did because you do not need it anymore. Because there is someone who will fill you up with what you need. And his name is Jesus. He took all your sin he took all your shame, and he has told you everything you ever did. He is, will change who you are. She was no longer the woman on husband number six. She is now known as the woman who told all the Samaritans about Jesus. It's incredible. I love the unlikely witness.
to the work of Jesus. Maybe you're one of the Samaritans. Maybe you've heard about Jesus but don't really know who he is. Start finding out, okay? Um, Nobody will grab a Bible and hit you with it so that you absorb all of the things that are in it. I guess I don't think that works for I'll try it with my kids. It does not work. Um, Just joking. I have not hit them with the Bible. Um, But it doesn't work that way. I'm inviting you to investigate the reality of Jesus. If you are not sure, if you cannot say with utter certainty, I know that this man truly is the Savior of the world, find out. Find out who he is. If you cannot say that, you need to find out. Because every person on this planet needs to say that. They need to know the Savior of the world. Maybe uh, you're one of the disciples. Because I'll be real honest, I think most days I'm kind of all three. I don't know what that means theologically, but I know that I feel like all three most days. That I come to Jesus and I'm like, I am a, I, I am a mess and I just need you. I, I come and I say to Jesus, I need you to show me again that you're the Savior of the world. I need to be able to say with certainty that I know. I need to bring my doubts to you, and I need you to answer them with who you are. Now we get to the disciples, who are supposed to have it more figured out. But Jesus says to them in verse 32, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Look at that phrasing there. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. (laughs) I love it when he just reveals their ignorance, right? You know nothing about the food that I have. And so his disciples, of course, totally not getting it. Maybe someone brought him some food. And Jesus says, listen, my food is to do, to, to do the will of him who sent me, to utterly surrender to the will of my Father. And then, no matter what, no matter what happens, to complete and bring to completion his work in me. That, that Jesus' basic need as a human is fulfilled by that. Fulfilled by his utter surrender to the Father's will and his commitment to allow the Father to finish his work through him. It fulfilled him as a human like water and food. And then he says this, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. There's an exclamation point in my Bible. I don't think Jesus is like, hey guys, um, listen, it's kind of important. Those people that are coming up, they're going to call me the savior of the world really soon. You need to kind of get to work. He says, open your eyes. Other versions say, lift up your eyes or look up. And it's almost like they're looking down at their feet while Jesus is talking, right? They're like, you have food. And they're like, where's the food you're talking about? And he's like, look up already. Wake up and look. They're right there. It's those people. Those people. Take the gospel to them. We exist as a church, right, to love much and love well as we bring the gospel to the one, the city, and the world, right? We can't do that very well if our eyes are closed all the time. And this is where my life as a disciple comes into play. 
Because Jesus is constantly telling me to do things that I tell him, I don't think that's a good idea. That's too scary. That's too much. Not them. All right? Let me ask you a question. Who are the those people in your mind? If I say the word those people, who pops into your brain? Don't tell me because I don't want to know. But whoever pops into your brain, okay, ask the Lord for an opportunity to bring them the gospel. You want to mess up life? Do that. Ask the Lord to bring an opportunity to take the gospel. Take it, right? Take it to the people who you have categorized in your thinking as that I am actually a little bit better than them. Hmm? I don't know what that means. Trevor said a bunch of times, it may mean that you walk across the room. Sometimes that is the longest 10 feet in a person's life. Walk across the room to somebody that you see every day and say, hey, how's it going? Uh, Want to come to church with me? No, okay, it's okay. Uh, it's because you don't, it's, it's really awkward because you don't know. How about just talk with them? You know that from my front yard, I can sit uh, where my grass is now dying because I think I have grubs. And uh, we can stand in my yard and I can look. Um, and there is a, a Pakistani family, uh, a good friend of mine and his husband. Um, another family who is uh, there are Syrian Orthodox two sort of young married couples. There is uh, a couple of mixed generational families. There's a Guatemalan family over here. And there's two families that are uh, uh, mixed Catholic and something else. That's all just standing on my front yard. Isn't that amazing? Open your eyes and look. Maybe it means that you walk across the street. Hey, uh, neighbor. I don't know your name, and I should, but my name is Brandon. Would you like to come over and have hamburgers at our house this Saturday at 5 p.m., um, and maybe you can bring cookies? <laughs> Would the world end if you did that? Would Jesus not come back? Would our society crumble? No. Do it. Engage the people you live around. If God is sovereign, and he is, he has you where you are for a reason. So in my office, I actually have, if, you, if you're, I'm trying to get your addresses secretly. Not secretly, I ask you and you tell me because, you know, but it's not like it's a big secret. I haven't like been Googling you, but I just ask and you freely give them. And then I, I put a little dot around your house. And then I put a, I have a, I put a half mile uh, a diameter radius, whatever, diameter, I guess it's a full mile, half mile radius uh, from the center around your house. Because I figure that's about where someone can walk in about 10 minutes. They can walk out your door and probably walk for 10 minutes and be about a half mile from your house. And I don't actually care all that much about the shape of the circle. It's just easier than a rhombus or something. So I drew a circle. And what I eventually want to do is I want to get everybody who comes here and have a map of, my, of Oklahoma City and have where they live. Right? You see where I'm going? And then I want each of you to actually go and meet all the people within. Let's shrink it down to make it a quarter mile radius. A five minute walk to your house. Five minute walk. Let's shrink it down to a quarter mile radius. And then you can walk out your door and walk a quarter mile radius and make it your goal that I'm going to know everyone's name who lives within a quarter mile of me. And at some point, I'm going to love them in the name of Jesus. How? Why is that so radical? How sad a statery in where that is radical Christianity. 
so sad, but it's where we're at. So let's just start there, right? Maybe it means you move across the country, right? Or ooh, maybe it means you move into another part of town, right? It's a big, diverse town. I'm not telling you to move. I'm not telling you to sell your house. I'm just saying, ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe he wants you to sell your house and move somewhere else. That would be okay. Also, Jesus would still come back and our society would not crumble. Right? You might even get a bunch of equity in your house and buy a boat. I don't know. But ask the Lord. Maybe it means you move across the country or across the world. Once again, the world would not end and Jesus would still come back if that happened. I promise, because I moved my, country to a, my, my family to a foreign country, and now we moved back to another foreign country known as Oklahoma, which is very foreign to me still. But you can still get good tacos here. So it's very important. Tacos. Brothers and sisters, uh, open your eyes and look. And I guarantee you won't have to look very far. Okay? Look near, look far, and then... I want you to be willing to tell somebody he told me everything I ever did. But in order to do that, you might want to build a relationship with them first, right? Just talk to them. My neighbor, he is dealing with an aging mother. I haven't actually invested anything of value, I don't think, into his life, but as I'm out mowing the yard and he walks the dogs, he comes by and he talks to me for about a half an hour about struggles with dealing with an aging mother. And he's, we've talked maybe two, two and a half, half, three, maybe three hours. I have injected virtually nothing into the conversation. Just listen to him. What will it do? I don't know. But do it. Intentionally engage in building relationships with people. And in particular, those people. I would love to have a church full of those people. Wouldn't that be great? Because you know what those people say? They say we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It's the greatest thing that anyone can ever say. I don't know what you came in here with today. I'm not sure what you're leaving with. (laughs) But I'm going to ask you not to leave here today until you've just talked to Jesus about it. Okay? There will be people standing up in the back. Um, that you can go talk with as our, as our song ends. We, we, we sing our final song. But right now we're just going to pray for a minute. And I'm just going to give us a, a moment of space to ask the Lord some of those questions. Let's pray with me. Lord, I love you. I so deeply desire to lay all my fear and struggles at you, at your feet. I so deeply desire to take your yoke upon me and get rest for my soul. And I just, I struggle to do that just about every day. Your word to us is a clarion call to open our eyes and look and see. I don't know if that means across the room or across the street or across the city or across the world. But in these moments right here. I pray that we would talk to you about it. We're just going to give the Lord 60 seconds. (laughs) Take that space and talk to the Lord about it. Ask him what he wants you to do.
Perhaps you feel like you're the Samaritan woman. Come to Jesus. Perhaps you feel like you're one of the Samaritan town folks and you've heard but don't know. Come to Jesus. Perhaps you feel like you're a disciple who is looking down at their feet and wondering why they don't get it. Come to Jesus and he will show you. And he will walk with you in the work he has for you to do. Lord Jesus, we proclaim you as the Savior of the world. Open our eyes and help us to see and then give us courage to go where you send us. We pray this in your risen and exalted name, Lord Jesus.